0: Hello, and welcome to Step Into Light. I'm Laura Barton. And I'm Michelle Jones. And today we are covering First Nephi chapter 8 through 10 in the Come, Follow Me manual titled, Come and Partake of the Fruit. So today we are reading in Lehi's vision, the Tree of Life. Chapters 8 through 10 are specifically Lehi's experience with this vision. Next week, we have this answer key that Nephi gives us about the tree of life. Because after hearing from his father, he turned to the Lord in prayer and he asked for further light and knowledge and received his own vision. But we get the opportunity to liken the scriptures unto us and we can know for ourselves what this vision means. As we study these three chapters this week, we can reflect on it, who it's for, who can benefit from it. And we know that This vision is about the plan of salvation. It's for us. It's for everyone. Elder Bednar, in our reading in the Come, Follow Me manual, (coughs) there was a talk um, that I took a quote from. It states that the fruit on the tree is a symbol for the blessings of the atonement. Partaking of the fruit of the tree represents the receiving of ordinances and covenants whereby the atonement can become fully efficacious in our lives. The tree of life is the love of God, but as Elder Bednar states, when the atonement becomes fully efficacious in our lives, our tree receives its fullness, and we are able to come back into the presence of God and receive exaltation. The plan of salvation is about separation from God and from the covenants that bring us back to the presence of God. So at different stages on this covenant path, it'll look different. We have the opportunity this week to look at where we are on that covenant path and press forward as we strive to go and grow closer to God.
1: Yes, and I really love that one of the things that I, I think will come in and out as we have a conversation about this is that these concepts that we're going to unfold today are not just this really nice idea that saved only for a profit, that these things um, are available to us now. I think that that was something that, as I was younger and would read through this, I thought of the tree of life as like the ultimate finish line, like way in the future. And I think it will be interesting as we have a conversation about how that tree of life can be part of our experience even before we receive our exaltation.
0: Right. And that's what I like about Elder Bednar's quote is that he shows us that at different points in, um, on the path, our tree will look different, right? And there are patterns throughout the scriptures that we
1: can turn to about what that looks like in different places in our lives. Because it's not just that the tree looks different. It's like our ability to recognize the tree, our perception of the tree, what we are able to recognize that. God's love and his light and power can do for us, just our understanding of that and therefore what we ask for and what we um, invite into our life will vary as we are growing spiritually, I feel like.
0: Yeah, I think that the best thing to do when you look at the Tree of Life vision and if you're applying it to your own life is to recognize that depending on where you are in that path... The Yes, the tree will look different. If you are coming up on baptism, that tree for you can be baptism. If you're coming up on the temple, that tree can be the temple. But um, I was thinking, I'll just go ahead and jump to Alma 32 real quick before we actually go into the tree of life, because okay. the tree of life is, is um, reflected on throughout the Book of Mormon. And in Alma 32, he's talking about it. And I think this helps us because... The tree of life sometimes is, is examined linearly, and we just look at it like, well, here's the straight and narrow path, and at the end is the tree. Correct. But mm-hmm. we know from Alma 32, where he's specifically talking about the tree of life and faith, verses 41 and 42, I think, clarify on how this is kind of a holistic experience. It says, if ye will nourish the word, ye nourish the tree as it beginneth to grow by your faith with great diligence and with patience. Looking forward to the fruit thereof, it shall take root, and behold, it shall be a tree springing up into everlasting life. And because of your diligence and your faith and your patience with the word in nourishing it, that it may take root in you, behold, by and by ye shall pluck the fruit thereof, which is most precious, which is sweet above all that is sweet, and which is white above all that is white, yea, and pure above all that is pure. And ye shall feast upon this fruit even until ye are filled." that ye hunger not, neither shall ye thirst. And so again, at different times in our lives, it'll look different, but it's the tree of life, the ultimate destination is the tree of eternal life. And we partake that fruit of that tree along the path at different times. In fact, it was very hard this time around because we have all these visuals now with Come, Follow Me. So it was really nice to for me to really solidify how it goes back to the same patterns we see over and over again with the tree of life. It's really the, the tree of life that we've seen from the very beginning, except in reverse order. Okay. So I really enjoyed looking at it that way, that we began with the tree of life in Genesis at the very beginning of the Bible, and now we're at the beginning of the Book of Mormon. But at the beginning of the Bible... We were with the tree the tree of eternal life, and we became separated from it. And we went the opposite direction out into the dreary wilderness. This time, we're starting there and going our way back. So we have that path back through
1: our covenants. So. And to me, this is such, like, as we begin to dive in, there is so much hopefulness and just a clear visual that that tree of life that... God's love and light is there for us, and that there are pathways, there is all of these things put in place so that we can find it if that's what we want. But ultimately, it's showing us that if we are separated from that, that it's our our choice to be separated from that unless we're truly lost and don't even know that there is a path. But for those who recognize that there is a path, if that's what you want, there are ways to get there.
0: Yes, and we're going to come back to that over and over again as we're on the path. But I remember reading a quote from Elder or President Nelson this year that I I wanted to share just to start off because we talk about patterns a lot, and I thought it would be nice to kind of explain why I feel like that's the way that I read the scriptures. Um, Sometime this past year, I came along, um, I was reading, uh, President Nelson was talking about how how we can learn more when we attend the temple and how to prepare others for attending the temple. And so I want to... Read a little snippet from um, a talk he gave in 1998 called Teachings, Covenants, and Signs. And it's just a small quote. He actually expands on this if you want to look it up. But um, he says, recognition of a pattern among creators is is expected. They all have their individual styles. A person familiar with the music of Beethoven, for example, can easily recognize his pattern of composition. One acquainted with the art of Van Gogh can readily identify his style of painting. So it is with this instructional model of the Lord. In the temple, he uses covenants, signs, and tokens. The same pattern is evident in holy writ. And so he goes on to talk about God isn't throwing us curveballs. He is laying it out for us. And we can see it throughout dispensations of time. And that's why I always go back to those patterns that he's constantly establishing for us.
1: So clearly with the tree of life, he's doing that for us. And another pattern that I'm seeing right off the bat here is just the fact that Lehi is seeing this in a vision. And I feel like that is another pattern that we have been shown throughout dispensations that the Lord can teach and communicate with us through vision. Okay, so let's talk about Lehi's
0: vision. And I had a couple of thoughts about where, what Lehi may have been feeling before he had this vision. But let's just start with the part that applies to us, that we can apply in our own life. And it says, we just get this one little introduction to his vision. It says, "And It came to pass that we had gathered together all manner of seeds of every kind, both of grain of every kind and also the seeds of fruit of every kind. So they're hanging out in the wilderness and he's recognizing that they're gathering seeds and that as they gather seeds, these seeds will be planted and give us, give his family um, something that can grow into something that's sustaining and life-giving. And that's the introduction to his vision of the tree of life that clearly can provide life sustaining fruit for all of us.
1: So, and, and that, 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 preparation is so evident because then the next verse says while my father tarried in the wilderness. So they're not in the middle of a farm gathering seeds. And I think that that, that is relevant to see how despite their current circumstance that they are preparing to be able to sustain themselves.
0: Right. And so he, he shares his vision there. Um, <laughs> it's funny how he shared his vision. Uh, he said that he was hanging out with his children, and he said, Nephi and Sam, I rejoice for you, but Laman and Lemuel, I'm really, really concerned for you.
1: So <laughs> so it's interesting because there was the, the Book of Mormon videos that you can watch, right. and I was watching that with my husband and my daughter, and as we're watching it, I thought, oh, that'd be kind of harsh to hear if you're Laman and Lemuel, because here they are, they're, you know, they are not... They don't have the spiritual understanding for what they're doing at this moment, but they're still obeying. They're still there. They're part of the family. They're sitting and listening when their father's like, come and gather and let me tell you about my vision. And to hear that, it must have been quite the thing to hear as a son.
0: Right. And by world philosophy standards, Parenting 101 is don't compare your kids to each other and don't do these self-fulfilling prophecies. Right? right. Don't tell them that they're really bad at something because of course they'll become bad at something. So what I think is so interesting is Lehi's book of parenting would be like, yeah, but the, but the Savior's greater, Jesus Christ is greater. So you know what? If I'm a bad parent, if they turn to Jesus Christ, none of that really matters, and that's what I'm trying to get them to, to do. My role as a parent is to constantly turn my children to the Savior. That's parenting 101 from a prophet. So. Okay, so they start off. They're in the dark and dr- dr- dreary wilderness, like Adam and Eve. They're in the dark and dreary wilderness, and they have there's no path or anything. But he's wandering and he's wandering.
1: And what does he do, Michelle? Well, I I, I thought it was interesting. In verse seven, it says so. It seems like at this point in the vision, he's by himself. And it says, you know, he's in this dark and dreary waste, verse 8, after I traveled for the space of many hours in Mm -hmm. darkness. And then it says, I began to pray unto the Lord that he would have mercy on me, according to the multitude of his tender mercies. Right. So he knows where to turn. He knows what to do. He knows what to
0: ask for. He knows how to assert what he wants, but he also knows how to rely on the Lord. And consequently, he has shown this tree whose fruit was desirable to make one happy. And it was sweet above all fruit. It was white that exceed all whiteness. I like how in the vision you can't really describe what it is. So you're just like, it's sweeter than anything you can think of. And it's whiter than anything you can think of, right? And then you partake of the fruit. And the word partake, which comes in our title, does not just mean to like, you know, sample it at Costco. It's to participate in consuming something, right? and that's why he you you see that word over and over again to participate to partake we partake of the sacrament we don't just passively do it we consume it and make it part of something
1: of who we are i was going to say one of the great things that i really appreciated like thinking about in terms of like this specific part with the fruit when they partake, they're really taking it into themselves. And by doing that, it's becoming part of them, what they are eating. And I, as I reflected on, and it's interesting, even in the video as you're watching it, you can see like their face lights up as the fruit gets near them. And then, you know, they're taking it in. You can just kind of imagine that whole experience and how interesting that is that we can have that same experience with the Savior or with um, light and the love of God that we can bring it into ourselves. And it can be part of us, that truth, that light, that goodness.
0: Right. If you're disappointed, we're not reading Nephi chapter 11 for all the keys of this. Spoiler alert, it's always the savior, Right. right? And so it's okay that we don't, you know, get the key until next week. This is all stuff that we can just visualize as we strengthen our relationships with the Savior. And so they're consuming and partaking, and Sam and Sariah and Nephi partake of this fruit. Laman and Lemuel do not, but you will notice Lehi never leaves the tree. Lehi never leaves the path. And I just think that was so interesting to think about. Laman, he, he, would, he would shout out, he would yell out, but he never left the path, right? Because you, when you physically think about it, you're like, well, let me
1: run go get Laman and Lemuel. Right, right? But he doesn't. He never leaves the path. I think that is a really important, beautiful example. Like I just pictured in my mind who like in whatever capacity or in whatever stewardship we have that keeping ourselves close to our, to, to that tree of God's light and love is the most important thing we can do as we are gathering. One of the things that I wrote as he's explaining, like Lehi says, okay, I, I, partake of the fruit. It was wonderful. And then I wanted my family to partake. And he calls out. And I thought that's a little bit of a pattern for gathering. Once we recognize for ourselves this grace and this mercy and what the atonement of the Savior does, then we want to reach forward and gather in those who we love.
0: So I love that you keep talking about gathering because that's what all of chapter 10 is to me. So I don't know if you spend a lot of time on chapter 10 and the gathering, but... I love that you're, like, foreshadowing it all because that's all of Chapter 10 to me. And and so to come back to the idea of how what does it look like to gather, I think that's really great. Um, so then the very next thing they see is a rod of iron, which I remember watching the video and thinking, oh, that's really – that. I really liked seeing the visual of the rod of iron because – You've always thought about the right of rod of iron, but there was this huge gulf that you could have fallen off the edge. So so there really was the sense of it protects you from falling, it strengthens you while you're along the path, it supports you when you get weary. And that you it really could be a precarious situation if there wasn't that actual division there, that that rod that lifts you up, which we know is the scriptures and the temple and in the words of our prophets, that as we're immersed in these things, we have that real protection
1: that that helps us as we're on the path. And I think it's relevant also to comment that there, you know, if we think of this rod of iron leading us straight to the tree of life, that (laughs) this is not an airplane journey that has like layovers in other destinations. So when we have the scriptures, when we have the prophets, when we are getting revelation in our life that is leading us to the tree of life, it's leading us directly to the savior all of these um, witnesses of the Savior point you straight to the Savior. They're not going to point you over to the layover over in this neck of the dark, jewelry wilderness so that you can prepare for the next area. They're always going to point you directly toward the Savior.
0: Right. I love that. And um, the large and spacious building is kind of a contrast to that concept, but we see the different people that are on this path and and how they deal with that how they deal with staying with the rod of iron versus being distracted by the um large and spacious building and as you said like the goal is to be like a spider monkey right that tenacious little spider monkey extending great effort maybe pressing forward because we have different groups of people that that commence on commence on the path and there's this great mist of darkness, right? And that mist of darkness, for some people, it, it has them lose their way. They start heading to the great and spacious building. But for others, they cross, they, they press forward. They cu- come forth. They catch hold of that rod. They, they start to partake of the fruit. Um, but some of them, when they partake of the fruit, they are influenced by shame, which seems to be coming from the words of the great and spacious building. So, when I um, was looking at it this time, I actually really enjoyed and appreciated this painting that comes with our manual this week. Now, if you we're all familiar with the Tree of Life, so if you're not looking at it, I think you're going to be able to follow. Okay, but um, I'd like to just to kind of describe this artist's rendition of the Tree of Life, if that's okay. Are you I, down with yeah, that? Yeah, okay. I'm um. So when we look at the tree of life, sometimes, again, we get these two-dimensional ideas of what it looks like. We get this straight path, we get this rod, and a tree that it leads to, and just darkness around it, and you get this floating building, right? And and I, I think it's probably the media that I've seen throughout my life where you get this floating building with a bunch of people standing outside with fancy clothes, pointing fingers and laughing. Okay. Nothing about that is appealing to me. Like I don't look at that and go, Oh yeah, they look so cool up there. I totally wish that's the type of people I want to hang out with. Right. right? I am in, I'm going to start
1: making my way there right now.
0: Right. And it's floating. And we're like, okay, I don't want to hang out in a place that doesn't have a foundation. In fact, um, elder Maxwell once had a quote about this where he's like, um, what are they doing out there, like, criticizing people? And I'm totally paraphrasing that. He's like, isn't there, like, anything worthwhile inside? Is there, like, a bowling alley or something they can do? You know, he said something like that. And I was like, yes, that's how I feel when I look at it. Okay, this artist does a really good job of contrasting the tree of life with the spacious building in a way that, to me, really illustrates the actual temptation of it. So this painting is a landscape painting with a lot of details. And... On the side of the tree of life, which from the front is the left side, it's illuminated by light. All the elements are inviting. There's light coming from the sky. The people, there's not a time or place associated with them. They're dressed in all different time periods of clothing. They're from different races. It's for all people. It's obvious that they have love because they have these very loving relationships and the light of Christ shines through this fruit. Um, it is bringing them this sense of vulnerability and approachability in the sense that the elements, the sky, the water, the earth, are all there and they're enjoying it together. And I think that's re- a that's really interesting concept because on the other side of the painting, there's an ominous sky. And the building, the artist cleverly gave a foundation to. Because truthfully, Satan is never going to give you a floating illusion. He's going to give you the perception of something that is better. And that mist of darkness is going to cloak it enough that you think there's a foundation there, right? But as I looked at this painting and the contrast of the ominous sky, I thought, okay, I can envision the words that these people are saying. These people are saying... Look at that sky above. Look how it is about to pour down who knows what on us. And you know what? I am in this great and spacious building and it will protect me. You over there have no control what's gonna happen to you. Who knows what's gonna come out of that sky at you. But here in our large and spacious building, we have protection, we have comforts. We have things that can prepare us so that when that sky throws down a bunch of junk at us, we can handle it. And isn't that the temptation? The temptation is I, if I go take care of this myself, I'll be ready. So you're on, you got the rod of iron, right? And you're on the covenant path and you're like, okay, Heavenly Father, um, I got this business opportunity. I can make a ton of money So what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus all of my energy on that right now. I'm going to get ahead of it. I'm going to get it in a place that I need it. And then I'm going to come back
1: to the, and focus on the covenant path. Okay. So that little diversion can be, 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 because it feels like security. Like the word that came to mind as I was looking at this image and you were describing it was shelter, right? That, that it feels like an insurance policy of Mm -hmm, sorts. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we're on that. And, and you know what? Some people do come
0: back to the path and then you're like, you know what? I'm on the covenant path, but there's this really great relationship with this guy, Heavenly Father. I'm going to go take care of that relationship. I'm going to get a handle on that. You know, I'm going to work it a little bit. I might even bring him back on the covenant path with me. So I'm just going to focus on that right now and use all my energy on that. And then I'll be back on the covenant path. And Heavenly Father, the Savior, they're sitting there going, okay, because I want you to choose us. Now you can go and find security and safety and whatever you think is going to provide that for you but you could also just do it with me. The Savior's like, or we could do it together. And that's what the covenant path is providing. That's real safety. That's real security. But the world tells us all these comforts and all the material and all the facade can, you can go, you don't need the Savior. I can hook you up now and you have control now. And that is where I can see people struggling because the truth is the covenant path will just keep you in that partnership with the savior. And as you're partnered with the savior, everything else will happen. And Lehi
1: knew that. That's why he never left the path. And even I, when he saw the people he loved struggling. I mean, even even his own children. Right. Which I think would be the greatest temptation for me personally to want to walk away from the tree to go rescue my children. Yes. So absolutely. as and as you're speaking about that, I was picturing that person, right? They're kind of, they're on the path, they're holding onto the rod, and they can see that the tree is there. Like, like they kind of are like, yeah, 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 I know where this is going. This is a straight path over there. Okay, good. Like, it feels like it's safe to leave because they can always come back to it. But the thing that they don't account for is that mist of darkness because that not only... Um, one of the th- thoughts that came to me is that the mist of darkness in our day, like in may- maybe in different dispensations, it was different things for people. I think confusion is a really big mist of darkness in our day, a confusion between truth and error and kind of recognizing and being able to discern. And so once we step away from that path, that mist of darkness is going to obscure when we're glancing back to s- like reorient ourselves, it can be very confusing and very disorienting to find our path back. But I think oftentimes when people that are similar to the example you shared, when they're stepping off the path, I think they, they feel pretty confident that they can come back to that path whenever they want to. And it's not that they can't, but it may not always be so straightforward. They may get more lost than they think they will.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think as I was I was looking at um, the basics of what separated us from God in the first place, what separated us from the tree of life in the first place. And it was that pride of us knowing better than the Savior, but that is why Heavenly Father provided the Savior, so that we can always turn back to Him. And so when we choose the Savior, when we choose the Savior over everything else, we can still participate in all the things that we want to. We want security. We can have those same things. The difference is we're doing it with the savior. So some of these people were impressed by the manner of the dress of the people, the and and so they they I love that you talked about the mist of darkness because once they step off the past, that mist of darkness is so disorient disorienting that it's hard to come back and that's why the iron rod is so important because if the mist of darkness comes you're not confused because you're literally still holding on to it it's literally holding you up and so you can still press forward whether or not you see in front of you well
1: and that is the thing is that if we rely only on our ability to see with our eyes where the tree is at or with our knowledge okay i I remember that the map I looked at earlier said that the terrain goes like this, but to actually like being able to touch and hold on to the iron rod, that's an action on our part. That is, um, there's something um, interactive about that that's different than just looking or than just knowing that there's a path. We're choosing literally with every step whether we're going to be engaged with the iron rod or not.
0: Well, and that's what it is. It's engaged with another sense. You're talking about touching. That's another level of engagement. And so when you talk about these people that were pressing forward and some of them fell away, those that pressed forward continually holding fast to the rod of iron, I loved what happened when they came forth and when they got to the tree because they fell down before they partook of the fruit. To me, that was people that really were holding on to that iron rod, like like clinging to it. Like, right, because yes. they were wrapped around that iron rod and knew that every moment with that iron rod was helping them literally press forward because when they got to it, they had so much gratitude. They recognized the love of God. They recognized what all that work and all of that pressing
1: forward was about, and they fell down. And then they partook of the fruit. And isn't it interesting to kind of bring that together? We talked about, I believe it was last week, about the rest of the Lord. And that made me think of that as well. So one question that I have as these people, some of them that partook of the fruit and then left, or some people who stopped partway over to the tree are walking away. It says that there were some in the attitude of mocking and pointing their fingers toward those who had come and partook. And and were partaking of the fruit. And verse 28, and after they had tasted of the fruit, they were ashamed because of those that were scoffing at them. And I was thinking about all the different devices and things that Satan could use to keep people away from the tree of life, right? Like he could get like some armies together and lob some, you know, warfare type situation to literally keep people away like bows and arrows I don't know whatever we want to picture a trebuchet keeps coming to mind of just like lobbing over like some big thing to get in their path and prevent them (laughs) and how interesting and how subtle it is that what was bringing people away was not um was something as subtle as this mockery and I just feel like there's something significant there.
0: Well, I think a couple of things. One, we know that a lot of this is illusion, right? A lot of it is our perception. Most of the people that fall, fall away don't even make it past the dirty waters. They don't really even get to the other side, right? Right. This, this whole thing about the building is all built on illusion. And so as they press forward, those that are distracted by shame, a lot of that just is coming from your inner voice, too, that Satan has really, when you talk about that confusion, I don't even know if you need real people doing it, just the perception. When we talk about social media um, and you look at more juvenile social media, a lot of it has to do with mocking and 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 there becomes this defensiveness. For instance, if somebody were to ask me why I do something, the truth is I do it because I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ primarily. But is that what I'll really tell them when they're like, well, why do you um, make it a priority to spend time with your family? Maybe I'm thinking, oh, because I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have a prophet who talks to me about priorities, and but that might be the real reason, but I might say, you know, statistically, people that eat dinner together, um, we find that families are bound together better as you spend that time in wholesome activities. I might come from a statistical vantage, because you know what? Asserting faith in Christ is the number one reason why you do everything, I mean... What if they just like mock you for that? That is not people's go-to natural reaction sometimes, but why not? Like for me, why not? Because I sit here and I talk about it on a podcast every week. So maybe I'm just going to get in the habit of being like, why are you doing that, Lord? Um, faith in Jesus Christ. I think it might work for me as I hold on to that. And
1: <laughs> Forever
0: and ever. Forever right and man. ever an amen. So, so.
1: <laughs> and amen. So then the interesting thing is, I, I think that shame is something that's very interesting to consider because... The really interesting thing about shame is that it's no respecter of persons. I think that people can feel and create this perception of shame or accept shame almost no matter what their situation is whether they are like resolutely holding to the iron rod, whether they've left the iron rod, whether they're here, whether they're there, like I could be a Dr. Seuss book, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm here or there. On I can feel shame everywhere. Right. Right. And I think that that goes to show that Satan is persistent in separating us from ourselves, separating us from that intuition, that connection that we have with God to help us feel centered. And it comes back to that confusion. If we feel shame about our choice, then that's enough of a distraction that it makes it very challenging to get centered and to trust that connection that we can develop with God.
0: I love that because unity is so strengthening and there's so much power in numbers. And as you're unified as a person where you recognize that shame and you heed it not you become a stronger person. And as you recognize that shame and you heed it not in your family, your family becomes stronger. And as you do that in the church, the church will become stronger. And all of that comes back to chapter 10. So I love it. But that's what it says. It says that, that, that these, this last group, that, that the building was pointing and there was fingers of scorn and, and those that were partaking of the fruit got mocked, but we heeded them not that they've entered the rest of the Lord. Those that knelt down and showed gratitude and partook and consumed the fruit, they heeded it not. They entered the rest of the Lord. And you know what? I feel more and more that that security from the world will look more and more like the Tower of Babel. Ridiculous. They can try to provide as much security and keep building that building up. But in comparison to what God can do, it's if you see it that way, like the tower. it seems like the Tower of Babel to me. You just keep building it. You're not even going to come close to the security that God has to offer. And those are the people that will partake of the fruit and heed not those words of the world.
1: And the interesting thing is in order to truly feel that security with the Lord, we have to rely on him as our security, which is a little bit counterintuitive. But it's interesting. I've noticed in my own life that I do like my... um, own confidence in feeling secure and nurtured and protected and in the Lord's loving care, that confidence has increased and increased and increased. But the reason why it's increased isn't just because I'm obeying commandments in a check the list sort of fashion. That is increasing because... With those things that matter to me most, I put them in his hands conscientiously. And so like in order to feel the security, it's like a hands-on experience. You can only gain so much just from reading other people's experience of trusting the Lord. Like at some point, we need to ask ourselves, do I really believe it? And do I really trust him with this that matters the most to me, whatever that may be.
0: Absolutely. And I love that because he says that Laman and Lemuel partook not of the fruit. They did not participate in the fruits of the atonement, like Michelle just stated, that putting it in the hands of the Lord is not a concept they could wrap their heads around. And we saw that as we talked at the beginning of the Book of Mormon, that there is a difference between Lehi and Nephi, who knew the Savior, who had a testimony of the Savior and could receive the spirit of prophecy, whereas Laman and Lemuel could not figure out how to participate in the fruits of the atonement, which is the tree of life. And that's why Laman and Lemuel are told at the end of this vision that Lehi fears for them, and he wants them to keep the commandments of the Lord. And and when you say keep the commandments of the Lord, again, that's like partaking of the fruit. It's living the commandments, partaking of the commandments, Keeping them close to your heart, and I know you like a lot of synonyms for words, so it's like a keep is like the keep of a castle. You protect it, you guard it, you keep the commandments, like the tenacity of that little spider monkey, right? He Mm -hmm. wants that for them, but they can't because they don't know how to turn to the Savior, which lehi's been teaching them so again it's the say, choice i was that they're say, making.
1: is it that they don't know how to turn to the savior or that they're skeptical that turning to the savior will make a difference for them so this is my perception
0: is that nephi and is that lehi's in the wilderness he's with his family he left jerusalem he said to the lord lord why in Jerusalem did I tell the people of Jerusalem what was going on? And they mocked me for it. And they were mad that I taught to, talked to talk to him about the Savior. They said that we prosper and we, we are good with how we're living our life now. Why do you persecute us? And then Lehi goes into the wilderness and there's a plan and he knows there's a plan and they've seen the blessings of it, but they're wandering in the wilderness and Lehi and Lemuel are still murmuring. And he Turns to the Lord and he says, I know there's a plan, but why are there these people that won't turn to the Savior? And I think that's part of the reason, that's one of the reasons why he receives this vision. This is the plan of salvation. Mm. We are separated from God, and God says, I will provide a Savior for you. You have to choose the Savior. I will do everything to make sure that the path is available for you. Please. And so this is the plan of salvation and why some people want to turn to the Savior and other people fear, 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 because they want to say, look, the life I have, I choose because I can see it right now. I don't have to ever worry about this security for these, you know, I have so much money that I'll just pay everything to go away. That's security for me. I don't want to be reliant on the Lord." But that's what the problem has been from the very beginning. Do you want to rely on yourself
1: or do you want to rely on the Lord? And part of it is giving up control. It's control. Because when you turn things over to the Lord, the the, the fear in that, in my experience, comes from letting go of trying to control how things will be accomplished, how the Lord is going to accomplish things in your life, and when we don't have control that is unsettling and it makes you know it makes us feel very vulnerable whereas when we are able to whatever it may be for some people it may be money but for other people it may be like um being like having a really great support system of friends or you know like like there's so many good things and not that any of those things unto themselves are bad things except that we find our false sense of security in them that they are going to help us feel protected and feel like we are somehow having the ability to insulate ourselves from the effects of really bad things happening in our life and to give up that protection that sort of feels like it's going to do something to protect and insulate us and turn to the savior and be fully vulnerable and trust him to take care of us. That is a whole, that is a pretty big step of faith. Absolutely. That's why I loved
0: this artist rendition of it because that's what I saw. I saw People don't like looking up at an unpredictable sky and not having control over what's going to be thrown at them in life. And not having shelter for it. Exactly. And these people are open to the vulnerability of what will happen on this side. There is no shelter. It's just God. And that love... Is what strengthening them so that's why I kind of thought that rendition by that artist was more interesting. And so that's what we see in chapter, in the very next chapter, which is chapter nine, correct? Yes. And so chapter nine, that's what Nephi says. We'll talk about the hundred and sixteen plates later, but I liked this in, in verse three where he says, I've received a commandment of the Lord that I should make these plates. Um in verse five he's commanded me to make these places for a wise purpose in him, which purpose I know not. But guess what? I'm getting really good at trusting the Lord. And he said in verse six, there is a plan. And that's what this vision's about, right? The Lord knoweth all things from the beginning, wherefore he prepareth a way to accomplish all his works among the children of men. For behold, he hath all power unto the fulfilling of all his words. And thus it is. Amen. You know what? The this is the point you just made. I just really loved the idea of Joseph Smith coming to this part because Joseph Smith translated the 116 plates were lost. And then he translates everything from like Moses to the end, Mosiah to the end. And I'm sure he's sitting there going, you know, that that beginning of Nephi was so interesting and it was so good. I mean, I feel really bad that nobody's ever going to get to read that. But the small plates were at the end of his translation. Mm. So Joseph Smith didn't get this beginning that 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 the Lord had set this up hundreds of years before him, right? And then when Joseph is finished, then he gets these small plates and he goes, wow, Heavenly Father has a plan, right? And this beginning is amazing. It gives us this archetypal beginning that correlates with the beginning of the Bible. And it's where there are people at Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and Lehi has to leave Jerusalem. And when we last left off this beginning... We had um, Lehi find out that his house is from the house of Joseph. That's Joseph who was sold into Egypt. And we know that Joseph provided that, um, that sustaining nutrition for the family he was cut off from. And so I'm sure Lehi is sitting here going, okay, I'm being cut off from the house of Israel But I'm going to ensure seed. So then he goes back and he gets Ishmael's family to ensure that they have seed, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's another thing he's thinking about before he gets this vision of the tree of life. That's why I liked you were talking about gathering, is that it came to pass that they were gathering every seed of every kind. And we just finished talking about how they are continuing the seed of Israel, right? That they went and got Ishmael's seed, so they're talking about seeds right before we talk about this seed too. So I was thinking with the end of chapter, with chapter 10, how all of this is about the gathering of Israel too. That this tree of life is also the tree of life that we talk about with the gathering of Israel. And I have some things to illustrate that because in all, all of trees in Israel are called trees of life.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Well, so. one of the things that before we jump into chapter 10, which is, has so much great things in it. Um one of the things I was thinking as we were discussing the Joseph's experience with the plates and then coming upon the small plates and just this whole process. And we see this I believe testified again and again in the Book of Mormon and in other scripture. And when we were talking about that security kind of controlling and trying to build up our own sense of security and feeling vulnerable as we step into, step through our fear, really, to accept that the Lord is our security. I really think the Lord is our ultimate security. It does not get any more secure than that. Even if the Lord has to have put something into motion a 100 years ago or 500 years ago in order to have the right thing in place for me or for my children or for whatever or something on the other side of the world or somebody... Who, does, who I don't even know right now is being prepared to step in and participate in some way in my salvation, none of that is outside of the reach of what the Lord has shown us that he has done for his children. Literally all of those things. There is nothing that I, I could create, that I can control, that even comes close to the magnitude of what the Lord can orchestrate on my behalf. And I just think that is... So beautiful, and I think that that also ties in with our gathering of Israel because the way that we are going to participate in that gathering of Israel has been, like, the orchestration of that, I think, is going to be amazing to behold.
0: Right, and this is why um, the meaning of the Tree of Life is for all people and that we have become separated, the tribes of Israel are separated, And that we can come back and be grafted in in the as the body of Christ. That that there was there's a literal scattering where we can become whole again. And he's explaining to his family how now this vision also applies to what's happening to Jerusalem and that they're leaving because for Lehi has a lot of insight, but I'm sure Laman and Lemuel are like, why are we leaving our heritage again? Like, why are we leaving? All, all of Jerusalem. And I don't know if Babylon's really coming. And, you know, he's he's dealing with all this murmuring. And so he's he's explaining this to them. Um, and so he then actually says in chapter 10 that that the Jews are going to be destroyed. They're going to return back. Christ, the Savior, the Messiah of the world will be for all
1: people, not just for the Jews, that he's coming, that he will Which one thing that I loved about seeing this, and I could be wrong, but this feels like the first direct prophecy of the Savior by name that we're seeing here in the Book of Mormon. And I love that we're seeing this so reminiscent of those ancient prophets of the Bible, all of these prophets, again, pointing us to the tree of life, to the Savior. He is coming.
0: Yes. And, and he, he prophesies of John the Baptist. So he gives the plan of salvation again. So he's pointing it out on an individual level. And then he points it out as far as the history of the world, right? The gospel will be preached to all the Jews. Um, they will slay the Messiah. He will, he will be our redeemer. He will be resurrected. Um, So then he talks about how the house of Israel will be compared unto an olive tree. And so I just want to take a a moment to talk about olive trees and their significance, because in our future chapters, we're going to talk about olive trees. And I notice that people kind of check out a little bit when it gets into this gathering of Israel. And so I want to point out that this vision is also about the gathering of Israel, that the branches that are broken off will literally be brought back. And I have another quote by By our prophet, because I find that when I can find words of the prophet to support what I have to say, I have so much more confidence. so. (laughs) So he said, let's see, this is from a talk called Why This Holy Land? But he's talking about the olive, the significance of the olive. And he said, olive trees are special in the holy land. The olive branch is universally regarded as a symbol of peace. The tree provides food, light, heat, lumber, ointments, and medicine. We know that the oil from an olive created the oil for the oil lamps and that it provided the light and the way it healed and anointed, right? So it gives us lots of things that we use practically. It is now as it was then crucial to life in Israel. It's an evergreen tree. Even if the tree is chopped down, life will spring from its roots, suggesting everlasting life. Jewish tradition often refers to the olive tree as the tree of life. So Lehi was this is all very purposeful. Remember Nephi is writing this 30 years retrospectively. Nothing that's in this beginning isn't purposeful. He's building on things here. To me, this is this is President Nelson's words. to me, the tree of life prefigures the resurrection. Jesus came to the base of the Mount of Olives to effect the first component of the atonement. This he did at the Garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane comes from two Hebrew roots, gath, which meaning press, and Shimon meaning oil, that of the olive oil. Their olives have been pressed under the weight of great stone wheels to squeeze precious oil from the olives. And if you press an olive and you get the purest part of the oil, it's red. So the Christ in the garden of Gethsemane was literally pressed under the weight of the sins of the world. He sweat great drops of blood, his life's oil, which issued from every pore. Remember, just as the body of the olive, which was pressed for the oil that gave light, so the Savior was pressed. And when sore trials come upon you, remember Gethsemane, and that the gathering of Israel is literal, that we have been separated as a people, but in the last days that they will come together, they will be grafted in, they will be united. And that that tree, that tree of life will bring the second coming of the savior. And that the, he will be able to reign upon this earth with the
1: uniting of, of Israel. That's a tree of life right there. So, well, yes, I love that. And, and I love how it says, and what, what brings them all together. I love in verse 14 of chapter 10, um, They should be grafted in or come to the knowledge of the true Messiah, their Lord and their Redeemer. And I just love, once again, here we are in the Book of Mormon, everything directing us to the Savior.
0: And I liked how you were talking about gathering and how do you gather. When you are on the covenant path, you are available to do the Lord's work. You are available to gather people in. It's not when you walk away from that that iron rod to go get somebody. It's as we stay
1: on the covenant path that we're able to do his work. Mm, I think that's a really good point. So one of, I'm I'm not sure, as we head toward the end of chapter 10, verses 18 through 21-ish, Nevi gives us some really beautiful Mm -hmm. um, foundational teachings here, some truths, And one of the things as we go through it that I want to keep in mind is that he is not just sharing these things for um, his day. He is not just sharing these only for people in scriptural times, but this is for us, all of us now. These principles and these teachings are something that we can receive to ourselves.
0: Yeah, I love it. And I love what he says right before these beautiful words. He was desirous to know the things his Lord's, the, or that Lehi said. And consequently, he had the desire and the want to see and hear and know of the same things by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is the gift of God unto all those who diligently seek him, that we, if we have the desire to see and we have the desire to hear and we have the desire to know
1: we have the gift of the Holy Ghost, we can pray for these things too and i think as we go through we will find um some of the keys for how that can how how we can obtain that he says in verse 18 he reminds us that god is the same yesterday today and forever he reminds <laughs> us that the way is has been prepared it is prepared for all men and women all of us each one of us the way has been prepared from the foundation of the world so talk about security and the lord having a plan for us right like that was like a lot longer than before i stepped on the earth um and so he says if it so be that they repent and come unto him and to me i liken that to coming to the tree of life right um And here's the part that I think is interesting. For he that diligently seeketh shall find. And I think that there's such a difference between like glancing around to see if you notice something important and diligently seeking. And I put in that category also the the verb that comes to my mind is ask. I think one of the key things that Nephi did in order to have a greater understanding is he asked for it. He asked to be able to see, hear, and know the things that his father had seen and that he knew that it was through the power of the Holy Ghost that he could have that. And then this part, which is the part that I wanted to reiterate that this is for us. He says, And the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto them by the power of the Holy Ghost, as well in these times as in times of old. So I had to laugh because I'm realizing that even back in... that there were days of old for them too. Right. And as well in times of old as in times yet to come, which is us.
0: Right. Therefore, and these are 18 and 19 are some of the most beautiful scripture, right? And then it ends the course of the Lord is one eternal round. And so again, you go back to in conclusion that the plan of salvation is about how in the beginning we became separated from God and this was the plan. And we can choose, we can choose to find our own way back, which is not the way back, or he can provide a savior for us that we can turn to, which is the tree of life. It's the same and it's one eternal round and we can choose to follow that path.
1: And part of the question will then become, where do we want to put our, where do we want to find our security? Where do we want to be anchored and what are we going to trust in?
0: Yeah. And, um, I put my trust in, the savior and, um, honor and glory be to God.
1: Yes. And even though Amen. it's, even though it's <laughs> forever completely terrifying sometimes, the Lord has never let me down. And for that, I am thankful. And I look forward to talking more about Nephi's visions next week. All right. See you next week.